Okay, I'm excited. You ready to go for a ride again? If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're going on a ride together through Scripture. We don't always do it this way, but we are. We're, we're jumping in, and we're gonna, you're going to go on a ride with me. And I, last time I mentioned, you know, you might like getting the windows down. How many still do this sometimes? You put your hand out and let your hand flow in the wind. And really, am I the only one? Okay, well, you can do that today. And I've said this a few times. I'll keep saying this. Never read a Scripture verse. And what I mean by that is you always have to have it in context. Always in context. And I heard this example this week, which I'd never heard before, but I love it. So none of us would grab a novel and just take one sentence and then think we know that, what the novel's about, would you? We would never do that. But we do it with the Bible all the time. And it's not that certain verses in the Bible aren't meaningful standalone. I'm not saying that. It's just that the fuller meaning is there if you read where it is in context. So here's how it would work. You take that one sentence, a verse. Most verses are one sentence. So if you take that sentence and then just see how it fits in the paragraph and then in the section of scripture it's in and then even the book it's in, then you'll give you a fuller picture of what God is trying to say. There's some more elements to that. You need to think about how the author intended for you to read it. So there's certain things that you might read in scripture today that meant something then that have a different meaning today. Like, well, a lot, of, a lot of the scriptures, agrarian, you know, farming illustrations, and if you've never been on a farm or raised on a farm, you need to understand what they're talking about. So when he says, when Jesus tells a parable and he says, a farmer went to sow seed, he wasn't talking about clothes. He wasn't talking about making clothes. He wasn't talking about fixing a tear in, in a fabric. Sowing meant throwing seeds out. And the way they did it is so different than today. They would just literally take a handful and broadcast the whole thing out. So it's different. We need to just keep that in mind. So you need to understand not only what the author intended, but you also need to consider how the original hearers would have understood what the author intended. So if you read it and take a different meaning than them, you're, you're, that's, your, that's your meaning. You can't take your meaning and impose it on what they would have understood it to mean. Words have changed. Now, I've heard this illustration many times, and I'm not criticizing any preacher who's used it or any of you, but I heard this recently, and it made so much sense. So how many of you heard that the word for power, Holy Spirit power, is dunamis? Yes. Isn't it funny, the Greek words we learn because of preachers? And dunamis is the same root as what? Dynamite. Dynamite. You've all heard that, right? So how many of the original hearers would have known what dynamite was? Zero. Not only that, they wouldn't have even known what an explosion was. You ever thought of that? I never had. Now, that doesn't mean that that word didn't mean power. It did. But if we take it and we think dynamite, that's not what they would have thought. They would have thought power, but just not on the scale that, you know, and it's not wrong. I get it. We're just trying to help people understand. But there's something else. You know, there's times you might Google a meaning and uh, not every search engine or every tool in there is going to be accurate. You've got to just be careful when you're doing this. There's times also where you've got to understand the culture and the literary style of the Bible. The Bible is full of literary styles. And you may never have thought of that, but it is. <clears throat> it's full of histories. It's got narrative history where you're telling, you're literally eyewitness account. They went here, did this. Here's how they did it, what they did. Some of those are meant to instruct us. Some of those are just descriptive. They're not intended for you to do it that way. They're just telling you, here's what they did. Sometimes you might read, like especially in the book of Job, 
you know, Job's experienced all these problems. He gets three friends who come to comfort him. And if you've read the book, they're not comforting. They blame him the whole time. So if you were to take one of what, one of the things they said and just say, well, God said this, well, it's in the Bible, but it's put in the mouth of somebody who's negative. And so that doesn't mean it's what God wanted you to hear. It's so be careful. My point is there's a lot of genre there. There's poetry, there's prophecy, there's apocalyptic, you know, end times literature, there's letters, read it for what it is. So as we do that, we're talking about principles. That's why uh, Paul, when he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, who's pastoring a church, he tells him in second Timothy two fifteen, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of God. You can correctly handle the word of God. There are so many tools online these days. You yourself can do this, but just be careful when you do it and correctly handle it. Now, having said all that, the reason we're doing what we're doing here is I really do believe, I sense this in my spirit more than ever, that God is preparing a harvest. He's doing something. I really believe that. Pastor Jeremy mentioned that in our in our pre-service meeting we do with the, whoever's volunteering the, in the day, I believe that, that God is doing something. And I think, you know, some people may point to the bad things happening in the world or the, the attacks against the church, but even that is something that God uses to raise up people to share their faith. You may never have shared your faith. In fact, the majority of Christians have not. Most of us, um, we, there's an old saying, it's, um, it's attributed to Francis of St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach Christ always, use words if you must. Have you heard that? Well, that, that quote is actually in doubt because <laughs> Francis was a preacher. He, wouldn't have, he, he might have said that, but he didn't, let me say this, I almost said a double negative. He didn't not preach. He's a preacher. He preached. So the thing is, all of us are supposed to proclaim our faith, yes, by our behavior, but also by our words. And you have to be ready to do that. That's why our theme for the year is to connect with God, connect with others, and to connect with a hurting world. You need to grow. You need to grow to the place that you're ready to be part of this harvest, which means you may end up telling somebody and being the one that tells them the thing that they needed to hear that changed everything. What does that mean? That means you study his word. You rightly handle the word of God. You, you're here on Sundays. You're already doing a big part of it. But Sundays isn't enough. And I've said this before, but it always cracks me up when this happens. I did get a, I got a Facebook message from a former student. Now, it's weird when you get old. You don't, I don't feel like I'm getting old or older. And then I'll get a note from this, this student's 35 years old. <laughs> and he was in my youth group all those years ago. And he's an adult. And he just said, hey, I just wanted to thank you for when we went and did this. And he mentions this event. You know what's never happened? Ever literally in 36, 37 years of full-time ministry, I've never heard anybody after years come back and say, in that sermon when you said this, it changed everything. (laughs) It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just there's other things that matter more, and a lot of it's that connection time, that time we're together. So here we are. We're starting some new groups in October. I'm excited about this, some new connect groups. You'll hear more information about this. There's another opportunity for you to get involved, get connected with each other, and connect more with God. We are starting new classes this Wednesday night here at the church. So if you've been part of the classes in the past, we encourage you to come back. Some of them have never stopped. So Holy and Whole with Candace Logan keeps going. Uh, Vicki Marriott is going to be teaching out of a new book. I'm very excited about this book. It's written by Francis Chan, and it's called The Forgotten God. 
And it's basically his experience kind of discovering the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit means. Very cool book. And then I'm going to be doing a book, which I'm excited about also, called Christianity for People Who Are Not Christians. So you may be here and think, well, I'm a Christian. Yes, you are. But here's what happens. A lot of times as Christians, we forget how to communicate Christianity to a world who doesn't know him. So this book is specifically written for people who are not Christians, but you as a Christian, it will be an incredible opportunity for you to see Christianity through the eyes of somebody who's not. And it'll help you answer some questions that maybe you've wondered about, but certainly the world today is wondering about. It's also an awesome opportunity if you know somebody who's new to the faith or maybe a skeptic and just curious invite them to this class. It'll be a lot of fun. We're also starting a new Bible reading schedule starting tomorrow. So the church, we've been doing this all year long, and it's, it's, this, it's on Version Bible app. If you do not have that, I encourage you to use it. It's a great tool to just do your Bible reading through. And then when we do it together as a church, it's just, it's interesting to me. Uh, a lot of people comment, not everybody, you don't have to, but after you've read the re- reading for the day, you can comment and just whatever God spoke to you or what stuck out to you. I love it because I just, I just, I'm amazed at how God shows each of us different things and we can grow from one another. So I encourage you to do that. I've invited most, as many people as I could on the Bible app to read with us. You just have to accept it. If you're not part of it now, you can easily do that. That's also where you will find the notes to the sermon. It's a super easy thing to do. So here we are. You ready? You ready for the, ride, the road trip today? <laughs> I'm going to tell you where we're going before we get there today. I don't always do that. But I'm doing it today. And it, and, it, and it flows into the whole idea about context. One of the problems as Christians, if you've been in the church a while, you know the end of the stories. Have you ever noticed that? Right. So as you're reading it, you're like, it'll be all right. I know what's going to happen later. Or maybe you're reading through the book. Maybe you're reading about Samson and you're like, oh, brother, you are messing up. Because <laughs> you know he's going to, spoiler alert, lose his eyes. Yeah. But he wins in the end, kind of. Right? So sometimes it's difficult because you don't really appreciate the drama that's building in the story as you're reading it because you know how it ends. You know where it goes. You know what's going to happen. So, and a lot of times as you're reading it, you're like, eh, it's not that big a deal because I know it works out. I don't want you to do that today. I kind of want you to know where it's going, but I want you ahead of time to get yourself into the drama of what's happening in the story. It's kind of like our lives, you know, our life unfolds like a book. Does anybody do this? I always crack my, and whenever I ask this question, I always, it just, it's just something about you that's interesting to me, but is anybody reading a book and it gets real intense and then you skip ahead? No. How many do that? Raise your hand, I'm curious. No, not very many? How many of you, um, maybe the Chiefs game, you can't watch it today, so you record it and then you like, don't tell me anything, I don't want to hear anything. How many do that? Okay, now let me ask you the next follow-up. If somebody tells you how it ended, do you still watch the game? Do you? Okay. Well, that's what I'm talking about. We're doing this today, but you're in a book too. Your life is like a book. Maybe you're, maybe you're at, at chapter 40 or 39 over and over. I don't know. Or 15. Whatever, wherever you're at in your book, you, you can't do that. You can't flip ahead. You can't do that. You're, you're in the book. So a lot of times the drama that you're in right now, you keep thinking, man, if I could just go a few chapters back, I really like that chapter. Or maybe you're thinking if I could skip ahead, but you cannot. God didn't set it up that way. He didn't didn't create our lives to be lived that way. He wants you where you are right now for a reason. And he's working through you and he's building into you things that he wants in you. 
And I know some of you are frustrated. I've got, I know some of your stories and some of the things that are going on, but you can't do that. You've ever heard about a good movie and then somebody spoils the ending? You guys know about Avengers Endgame already, right? Anybody know? Did anybody watch that movie and somebody already told you who got zapped and who didn't? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Well, look it up. How about Han Solo in that last movie? You guys see that coming? Uh, I didn't see it coming. I don't know about that. As you look at these things, you can't go to the next chapter. And we're living in a time with with COVID. It's a weird time because a lot of times you don't know what's going to be the end of your book. Or you don't know when's going to be the end of someone else's story. And you might miss it. Um, we, we, memorial, we did a memorial for, uh, for David Cassidy on Friday. <clears throat> and at the end there, I, I was just talking about the fact that at the last couple weeks of his life, I talked to him on the phone a couple times. And then I didn't expect the time when I called and they said, he can't talk right now. And I'm like, oh, well, is he getting treatment or something? And they're like, no, he can't talk. And they couldn't tell me because I'm not family. But what they meant is at that point he was on a respirator. I didn't know that at the time. But you don't know when that's going to be. Do you, do you follow? And I couldn't go see him. It's, that kind of drama is what I want you to feel as we read the story today. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not. And we don't know what the end of the book is. We don't, you don't know when that last time will be. Think about it. I don't... I don't I didn't know the last time I played tag with my kids that it was the last time. I didn't know. You don't know. We're not guaranteed. I just want to encourage you, just a little aside here. Hug a little longer today, maybe. Call somebody you haven't seen in a minute. Tell your parents you love them. Reconnect. Make time for that relationship. We're talking about a familiar character today. That's why I'm giving you this long introduction. It's King David. You know who King David is, right? He was the second king of Israel. And and many say he was the best king of Israel, the most powerful, the most... Now, Solomon was wisest man in the world. He expanded the kingdom more. He he made international, you know, agreements, that kind of thing. He built the temple. Solomon did great things. But, But David, what he did was expand the kingdom and actually set them up as a nation. He defeated all the neighboring... Uh, tribes and the neighboring um, people groups who were constantly at war with them. He won all the battles. He was an amazing, an amazing king. He was the glory days. When people talk about Israel in the glory days, they're thinking usually of David. Now Solomon was great, but David was amazing. And what you may not know is it all crumbled after Solomon. The whole thing divided after Solomon. You may not think of it that way, but this was it. He handed off a solid, secure kingdom to his son. He was a warrior king. He established the kingdom. He wrote most of the book of Psalms. He was, he was a man after God's own heart. I know you know all that. What I want you to do is tuck that away and not think about that. Because that's not how he started. You realize that, right? And you may even know some of his failures. I don't want you to think of those either. I want you to think none of that. <laughs> he didn't start out that way. You realize he wasn't royalty. He didn't have a direct line to the king. It wasn't like that. He wasn't famous. He wasn't important. He wasn't established. He wasn't a business owner. He wasn't a clan leader. He was nothing. He was nobody, actually. You ever notice how God is not impressed with the things that impress us? I mean, really. 
I will guarantee you he probably didn't even dress good. I'm just saying. I don't know about you, but when you're out and you see somebody, you're like, hmm, that must be somebody. Why do you say that? Because that wasn't David. I just want you to see that. It wasn't him. He wasn't voted most popular in his high school class. My 40th high school reunion was supposed to be last year. Of course, it got canceled. And I just saw online a couple days ago, they're rescheduling it in someone's backyard. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Not, not really cool, but I mean, whatever. But <clears throat> it was funny to me, though, to go look, see who's going and just think, wow, they were most likely to succeed or whatever. Not David. Just want you to get that. No wealth, no status, in the, not in the government. He was nobody. You know God loves you though, right? You know he loves you and none of that matters to him. Why does he love you? Why do you love your kids? You're his kid. He loves you because you're his. He put his image in you. He created you special. I know I said this last week, but it just every time I think about it, it just blows my mind. The moment of your conception, you were a unique individual uniquely, specially loved by God himself. No matter what happens the rest of your life, no matter the circumstances of your birth or how you were conceived, he loves you. You're special to him. There's verses in the scriptures that say you are the apple of his eye. Did you know that you're on his mind? That just, that just again, it just makes me wonder, God, really me? Little old me, really? It says that you are in his thoughts. Now, we don't have the ability to think about Many things at the same time. And most of us guys, you know, we can't. Did you know men can actually think of nothing? That's actually a thing. Like they test their brain and there's literally nothing. So you might ask your husband or boyfriend or friend, like, what do you think about it? When he says nothing, it might actually be true. It might be nothing. It's true. God is not like that. In fact, every single one of us are on his mind all the time. I don't know about you, but sometimes it overwhelms me. It chokes me up. Sometimes I... I think, God, I don't deserve that. I am nothing, nothing, nothing. But you're on his mind. He made you like that. And I don't, I'm not one to like, I don't like repeating things, honestly. You may wonder about that these last few sermons because you're like, well, you're repeating a lot of stuff. I know. I feel like God is wanting us to do that because I know that you know, repetition is one of those things that just drives it. I want this driven deep into your soul so that you never question it ever. And when you're going through difficult times, what comes to your mind first is, God, I know I'm on your mind, though. And I know you love me, and I know you care about me. And no matter what is happening right now, that never changes. That's never a thought in your mind. You know. You know you can call him. You know you can reach out to him. You know the story of the Bible was all about this. He created us for relationship. He wanted it. He didn't need it. He didn't have to have it. He created it because he wanted it. We don't know a lot about the other beings that exist I mean, we get little descriptions here and there, but honestly, you could take every verse in the Bible about other beings, and it would be short. It's not that much, but he wanted a relationship with you, and he gave you freedom to choose right or wrong to follow him or not, and the thing is, all of us innately, we don't follow him. We do things that are wrong, and it separates us in that relationship from him, and that relationship has to be fixed. Those wrongs have to be paid for somehow. And because we could never effectively pay for that, and we could never... I I love when Pastor Newby used to say, there's two ways to heaven. You could do everything perfect forever, or you can accept Jesus' sacrifice. 
The fact is, none of us could follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. All of us has done wrong th- things here and there. The fact is, we all do things that separate us from him. And the fact is that he paid the price and he made it right. He paid it all. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then, as I said the last three times, penalty, payment, reward is in this one verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's always been reaching out to mankind. He always wanted you. Always. And he knew he was going to bring his son to be the redemptive one. But he didn't start with Jesus. He started with other things. He's always been reaching out to man. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son he created the universe. When he... And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He started with this promise with Abraham and he said, I'm going to bring salvation through your family. He extended it on through, you know, and you know about all of these stories and he he sent judges, he sent prophets. God was preserving a people and telling them more and more about who he was and what he wanted to do. The salvation of the world, that's the whole story so we're going to jump into the story, and Israel is a nation. They, have a, they wanted a king so bad, so they go to Samuel, the prophet, and they tell him, we want a king. We want to be like all the other countries. We want someone to lead us into battle, and we want this, we want this. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for him to be their king, but he said, okay, you can have a king. So they chose this king. I'm not going to get into a lot of the details of the story, but the king they chose was, the, the scripture says he was very handsome, head and shoulders above everybody. So you can imagine a crowd and you see one guy sticking up above it. He's the guy. So who's going to lead you? You look around, uh, that guy. He's huge. He's the man. And he's good looking. (laughs) Human, right? That's how we are. He's the one. You look at him, he could do it. If anybody could do it, he could do it. So Saul set up a kingdom and it was just like the other nations. He had, he had, he had all the trappings of a king. He had royal heirs. He had a royal palace. He had, he had horses. He had soldiers. He had armies. He had prestige, respect. Everybody was respecting or fearful of him. He was conquering. He was winning battles. All that was going good. And then God gave him some very specific instructions, and he disobeyed. And when he disobeyed, the, the word came through Samuel the prophet, and he said, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. That had to be a no good, very bad day for Saul. Not only that, think about what else it did. Had to make him start to be suspicious. Who did God choose over me? There's no one taller than me. (laughs) I don't know if that's what he thought or not. But I'm sure he started looking around and he started seeing some people being successful and wondering, is that the guy? Did God pick that guy? He hadn't picked any of his sons, at least as far as he knew. It would have been a dangerous time to say, hey, I think I'd like to be king someday. No way. So here's how the story goes. God speaks to Samuel the prophet. He says, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil. Go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Now this is really interesting. As I was researching this, this is the only time 
in all of Samuel's experience as a prophet where God did not give him the whole story, just partial information. I love that, though, because that's how God works with us, isn't it? Haven't you always wondered? You've been praying about something. God, what what do I do? What do I need to do? What's the next step? How is this going to change? What are you going to do? And you want him to tell you everything, right? How many of you does he do that for? (laughs) I was thinking maybe one hand. Not one hand. Really? You know what? Nobody out there? Because you know what? He doesn't do that. He does not do that usually with us. Now, there may be times he'll give you a glimpse or, or an idea or something. I mean, there's been things, I, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but there's been a few things in life where I felt like, okay, this is his plan. I know, what, I know what he's doing. Most of the time, he doesn't do that. And in this case, kind of an important deal, he doesn't do that. So Samuel asked God, he says, okay, how can I do that? He's speaking back to God and he says, how can I do that? Saul, if he hears about it, he will kill me. He will kill me. Kill the prophet of God? Really? Kill the prophet of God? (laughs) What would it take for you to do something like that, to kill God's prophet? Think about that for a minute. Have the kingdom taken away? But it was your fault. You you sinned and God took it away. But still, (laughs) God chose him. God rejected him. Now he was going to actively fight God's plan. Let me just say this. Don't be a Saul. You hear me? When God has a plan, get with his plan. Even if, even if it's not what you wanted or not how you thought it would go, get with his plan because you do not want to be a Saul and fight God's plan. But that's what Saul was committed to do. Now, there's times where we get kind of sideways. Let me just tell you what to do real quick. First John 1, 9 is really clear. If you sin, confess your sins. He is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what else you need to do? If you feel like maybe you're out of his plan and you don't know what's going on or which direction it is, or maybe you're at that chapter 39 again and you're one to flip the page, but you don't know what it is and you don't know what's going to happen next and you're really frustrated and really anxious and wondering, let me just take you to Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Jesus said it this way, or Paul said it this way, I'm sorry. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death so that no one, that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. You want to know him? Get to know him. Seek him. Ask him. Spend time with him. Time is, is what every relationship depends on. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you need to spend time. You need to make the effort. So getting back to the story, God says to him, take a heifer with you, which is a cow. And and the Lord replied, say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord, which is true. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you which one of the sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Samuel says, yes, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. You may wonder, why would people be afraid? Well, I don't know about you, but they weren't always, like they didn't have all the details you guys have. So for them, they weren't sure, am I doing all this right? And when the prophet shows up, you're like, oh my goodness, what's he going to say? So the prophet comes to town and he tells them to get ready. And he pulls them together. When they arrived... I love this verse. Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. What do you think he was thinking? Well, the last guy was like really tall and handsome, right? So I don't know, Eliab, I mean, he was the oldest son. Maybe he was good looking and tall and muscular. And 
If he's going to be king, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy. And the Lord says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. I I don't think Samuel said that out loud. Well, maybe, who knows. Then the Lord sees things. He says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the the Lord looks at the heart. It's a tough, tough judgment there for Eliab, but that's not, it wasn't God's plan. You know, God loves you, right? I know some of you are like, why do you keep saying that? Because I want to make sure you know. I want you to never doubt that ever, never, ever. Nada nunca más. Never, ever, ever doubt. Do you think you're worthy of that love, though? If you're a little taller? I know I'm being silly. If you're a little better looking? I know for some of you that's hard to even imagine, but if you were, would he love you more? What if you did more stuff for him? What if, what if you were just a little bit better Christian? Would you love him more? That's not it. He doesn't do that. But you know what's sad is most people when they're asked, like if there is a heaven, do you think you'd go there? Almost everybody says yes. And when you ask them why, you know what they say? I'm a good person. How do you judge that? Well, most of us judge it by looking to our neighbor. I'm better than him, better than her, right? God does not judge that way. He takes each of us as individuals, every single one, and he looks at you. And I want to know this morning, if he looked at your heart, would he say what he said about David? A man after my own heart, a woman after my own heart. He looks at our heart. What would he see if he looked at your heart? I've imagined this scene with Eliab and the brothers all standing there. And in my mind, if, if you got older and younger, younger, maybe they're all on a stair step, you know, a little bit. And Samuel walks up to the first one and he, God's like, not him. I've looked at the other guy, the, another one's heart, and it's not him. Do you wonder if Samuel looked at him and thought, huh, wonder what God sees in him that I'm not seeing. God looked right in. So what would he see in your heart? Would he see humility? You know, that Jewish term shalom means peace. And it's a deep word. It means peace with God. Not absence of conflict. It means that you and God are good. That your relationship is peace. There's nothing between you. Nothing hidden. Nothing held back. Nothing wrong. It's shalom, peace. What would he see in your heart? What would he see in your heart? Hidden sin? Selfishness? Hatred? Superiority, judgmentalism, anger, unrest, anxiety, hopelessness, fatigue, worry. What would he see in your heart? Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, "Uh, this is not the one God has chosen. I almost want to not be the next brother in this. So next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Can you see the drama building here? The prophet comes. He's sent there. Go there. Anoint one of the sons of Jesse. I'll tell you which one. So he's obedient. He does it. He's under threat of death, possibly, if Saul would have found out. 
<clears throat> he calls the big assembly. All the people are there. He does the deal. He's got the oil. He's ready to go. He calls the sons. One of these sons he's going to anoint. And it doesn't tell us what he told them. It's hard to know what they thought was going on here. But regardless, he starts going one by one by one. And he says, not these ones. Where was David? Because he asks him, are these all the sons you have? Are you hiding somebody here? Where was David? What was David thinking of in this moment? I wonder if he even knew it was happening. Because if he's watching sheep, which is where he was, a little spoiler alert there, he probably was outside of town and may not have known any of this happened because it wasn't announced in advance. Samuel just showed up and did this deal. My, my point in ask, asking you this is, who was David in this moment? He was nobody. He wasn't even invited. He probably wasn't even told. So was he angling for position here? You think he was thinking, someday I'm going to be king. I always think, that's dumb. I don't always think of uh, Simba singing that. What's that song? Someday I'll be a mighty king. You know, David was not doing that. What was he doing? He was doing what God had called him to do at that point in his life. He was doing his job. He was faithful to the little things, not even looking above. You know what else he was doing probably? He was probably writing a lot of those songs that are in the book of Psalms. Because that's where he learned to play harp. Would have been out there in the field with the sheep. He was protecting the sheep. He was doing his job. He was a man after God's own heart. You know what else he was doing out there? He was developing a relationship with God before God even used him. Before God ever told him what he was going to do. And what he was going to do is massive. We already talked about it. But I want you to see the drama of it. He's just a kid out there in the field. Estimates range a lot, but somewhere around 14, 15, 16 is probably how old he was at the time. That job would have been probably passed down from brother to brother to brother to brother. Finally, the little guy's out there doing the sheep job because it's the lowest job. We kind of elevate that because Jesus is our shepherd. In their culture, is everybody did that. Anybody could do it. Do it. We pick up the story again. Jesse, the father, says, well... I wish I could even do a voice of his. Well, there's the youngest. Like, why do you care about him? I don't. Nobody does. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. I don't know about you. It it wasn't when I first read the story, but there was some point when I read that story, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? You you forgot about your son? How how are you going to do that? How are you going to be the father of these sons and you forget about that one? You know what that tells me is he didn't see what God saw. When when Samuel told him, I want to anoint your sons, it didn't even occur to him to send somebody to get that boy? Why? Why? I don't know about you, but I'm sure it has something to do with him, the youngest. I don't know. But when I read this, I think of that story from last week with Hagar. And Hagar was a nobody. Hagar was somebody who was overlooked and mistreated and what had happened to her was unfair. And then when she was out alone, what did she see? And what happened? And what did God say to her? I see you. I see you. He's the God who sees me. 
I don't know. I don't know how David felt about all this. We don't know. But I'll tell you this. His dad didn't see in him what God saw in him. But God saw him. He saw him. He saw him as a boy out there alone. And what he saw was a pure heart that he could use. Yeah, there were some skills involved. And, and those of you know the story. I mean, the next chapter, he kills Goliath with the skills he learned watching sheep, which no one would have put that together because his brothers were old enough to fight with, with armor and spears and swords. But he fought this giant with a sling that he learned to use guarding sheep. But more important that what he fought that giant with was the relationship that he had with God. Because what he said is the same God that delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear will deliver this Philistine into my hands. He learned that because he was alone with God. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want you to know that God sees you. That Hebrew connection of words, El and Roy, the God who sees me, that God sees you. You're on his mind, just like David was on his mind. He wasn't on his own dad's mind, but he was on God's mind all the time. His dad may not have known him, but God knew him. God knew Hagar. God knows you. He knows you. He knows your heart. He loves you with a love that extends past everything you've done or whatever you've thought or mistakes or whatever. The fact is he loves you beyond all of that. What was David doing? He was becoming someone that God could use. I want you to get a couple things out of this. Oh, and just let me give you another little spoiler alert. He was anointed king. Do you know how long it was before he became king? 15 years. 15 years. If you want to know the story, he, he does kill Goliath. He ends up playing harp to calm down Saul because Saul has anxiety going on. Then Saul becomes suspicious, chases him, and then he becomes king 15 years later. Pastor Nick, if you could join me up here. I want you to hear two things out of this, and I, I really want it deep in your heart. That God who sees David, saw David, saw Hagar, sees you. I want to do this again. We did it last week, but I want to do it again. I just want you to repeat this after me. He sees me. Let's say it together. He sees me. He sees you. He sees you when you get up. He sees when you're getting ready. He sees when you're on your way to work and you're on your way to school. And he sees you when you're struggling over a test. And he sees you when you're in an argument with somebody. And he sees you when you're sad. And he sees you when you're happy. And he sees you when things are working out. And he sees you when things aren't. And he sees you when prayers don't seem to be getting answered. And he sees you in the middle of all those things. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Maybe you can relate to David here. Overlooked, underestimated, unappreciated. God sees you. He sees you. And you can trust him. Here's the next thing I want you to remember. Be faithful. Be a person after God's own heart. How do you do that? You go after God's heart. David did that. Read the Psalms. You will know he went after God's heart. A lot of his songs are so different than our songs. A lot of our songs is show me your glory and I want to see you do great things and all oh, that's good, that's fine. His songs weren't always like that. A lot of his songs are God, I know who you are. I worship you, I love you. Seek him. Pursue that relationship 
and you will be someone after God's own heart. Pursue it. It takes time. Prayer, reading, Bible study, you know, being part of, obviously, the things we offer here at the church. I want you to shut your eyes for a minute. I want you to think about this. Maybe you're here in the room. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you've even heard this before. Maybe you've heard the last couple sermons and now it finally hits home where God sees you. I would encourage you to just keep repeating that to yourself. And maybe before you go to bed or even in your darkest moment, God sees me, sees you. But maybe you haven't really embraced that before and now you're ready to. And now as you're thinking about it, you're looking at it and you're saying, wait a minute, if he sees me, then I want a relationship with him. And you would like to start that today. Maybe you haven't had a relationship with him or even maybe you've walked away, but you want a relationship with him. Anybody here like that would just raise their hand. And if you want to let us know online, you can either email the church, info at crownpointchurch.com or make a a message in the comments. But if you're here today and that's you, would you want to raise your hand and I could pray with you today? Anybody at all? I want to do this with us. You don't need to raise your hand for this. But I know that if you're like me at all, there's times where you wonder if God sees you. You've been walking with him maybe six months or six years, 60 years. There's still times where you wonder, God, where are you? I need you to come through here. Whatever it may be, the cry of your heart. I want to pray with you this morning and I want you to cry out to him. I want you to acknowledge with me as I pray that he sees you, you know it. And I'm just going to pray that he would make it even more real today as you go through this day, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, and on through the week. And I want you to be able to take that message to somebody who needs to hear that today. My prayer is that God would put you into a... uh, some type of a situation where you can share this truth with them and it would change their heart and mind. Pray with me. Father, I lift up myself along with everybody in this room, everybody watching online. And I ask God that you, as the God who sees us, that you would make it more real with each passing moment. God, I pray that you would show us things in your word that just show it. Show us that you see us and you see what we're going through, that you would just make things come alive. I pray that as we spend time in in prayer with you, that you would would make that come alive and we would just sense and know your presence. God, maybe you would put us in situations where someone, something they say would just make that real or that you would give us opportunities this week to talk to somebody that you would help make that real to them this week. Father, I pray for a sense of peace and calm and assurance to everybody in this room this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? And as you go out today, greet one another. If, if you're coming to the Connect Lunch, I'm going to ask you to do something that's hard for me to do. I'm going to ask you to get into that room. It's in the crown room as you exit to the left as soon as possible. And um, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.